This is the battle Paul says that we're in. It is a spiritual battle. It's a battle that you and I cannot see with our eyes. It's not even a battle that we can feel with our hands. But it, there is an actual spiritual battle going on for mine and your soul in this very second. And Paul tells us, the schemes of the devil are working against you. God's Word is filled with wisdom. Join us today as Tyler Ford from the pulpit of Cedar Point Baptist Church opens up God's Word to Proverbs 5 and shows us God's design for resisting temptation. May God bless you as you listen today. The main thread of this text is, young man, stay away from the adulterous woman and seek a wife. That's what it is. That's the wisdom. Stay away from the adulterous woman and seek a wife. So what I want to do today to help us, uh, all of us with this, is to talk about temptation. That is kind of the heart of what um, Solomon is warning uh, the young men against here, the, the, the lure of temptation. So what we're going to do is is talk about temptation for a little bit, and then we're going to talk about at the end how to fight temptation. Uh, so, uh, the first thing that we should begin with is to understand that we should all have a proper fear for temptation. We must know the danger of temptation. The first step that we could take to be wrong in fighting temptation is to believe that it cannot have any effect on us. That would be foolish. We even see that here in this proverb just by the fact that Solomon is calling, his, calling the sons of Israel to be attentive to his wisdom. Pay attention to what I'm saying. The ambition of temptation, the first step in taking temptation more seriously is to remember that temptation does actually have a mission. And the mission of temptation is to ruin your soul and to rob you of God. It does not matter what it is. That is the end goal of any temptation that exists in this world. No temptation is innocent. All temptation, schemes, and plots for is this very end. To ruin you and to rob you of God. To put you into a never-ending misery. Temptation will please you only to abuse you. To seduce you. To undo you. To distract you. And to destroy you. We can look at this text for a moment and we can see what is said about this forbidden woman. It says the lips of this temptation drip as honey. In verse number four, it says, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword. We can see in verse number nine, Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, that temptation robs us 
of honor and it takes our lives and makes them very useless. We can go down to verse number 10. Lest strangers take your fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. We can see here that it spoils our strength and it ruins the work that we do. And then in verse 11, And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. We can see temptation only ends with regret and futility. That there is nothing good that comes out of temptation. Temptation also leads with pleasure. I'm going to go over to the book of Judges and look at chapter 16, verse number 5. I didn't think that looked right because it was Joshua, not Judges. Judges 16, 5. Talking about Samson and Delilah, Delilah, it says, And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him and, and we will each give you uh, 1,100 pieces of silver. We see here that before temptation can betray us to destroy us, it first it first will 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 entice us. It first will lure us, as use the word that James James uses. It will do that with some sort of promise of some sort of satisfaction. We go to the very next verse, verse number six. It says, "So Delilah said to Samson." Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. You know, we might expect her to flatter Samson or, or do something else, but instead we see what she does here. She asks him directly for his secret. Tell me how to subdue you. Uh, to ask was to ultimately to test his love and, and to invite him um, into a deeper love with her. John Popper says about uh, temptation, the power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. No one sins out of a sense of duty. You know, we don't sin because we feel like we have to. We don't even sin necessarily because we want to. We sin because we believe that, that whatever it is that is causing us to sin will give us some sort of enjoyment or some sort of satisfaction for a moment. So, I, I think, now I told you all yesterday that we're here that I'm trying to get healthy. That's one thing I'm trying to do is eat a little better, get a little healthier. You know, I'm trying to get off of the um, kindergartner diet, those kind of things. Uh, you all criticize me for that. So I'm trying to do better about those things. And I'm learning a lot about high, my wife probably, I'm glad she's not here. She was so tired of hearing this. High fructose corn syrup and what it does to you. And I'm refusing to eat anything with it. Because it gives you this moment of satisfaction. Because it tastes so good and whatever it is. Whatever they put it in, it tastes so good. But it's actually not very good for us. And it's kind of like, Tim, now do what you want. Eat what you want. Now, don't take that advice from me. 
But, but it, it's so much like temptation that we're promised something. We're enticed by something. But something that will never actually satisfy us. Something that will never give us what it promises us. Sinful pleasure will always be appealing if we have not set our hearts on a superior pleasure. Psalm 16, verse 11, says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that God, in His presence, there is fullness of joy, and at His right hand, beside Him, with Him, are pleasures forevermore? Because if we believe that, we understand that that temptation, sin, can never make that kind of promise to us. Ultimately, if, if we were to go back, and I'm not going to do it to save time, but if we went back and read through chapter 5 of the proverb that we just looked at, we would notice that Solomon is saying the same thing. That the temptress woman, the adulterous woman, will make you promises. She will promise things that will you think that you want, but in the end you will be destroyed. Next thing, um, temptation also heaps shame upon us. If, if sin cannot lure or entice us with its pleasure, it will assault us with shame. One reason some give in so often is because they have believed that sin is who they are. They cannot do any better or they cannot be any better. Satan, one of the words used to describe Satan, one of the names given to Satan in the Scripture, is the accuser. And he does not accuse occasionally, but he accuses all the time, day and night. And if he can convince us that we're still the same old person, he can convince you of almost anything. He, that's exactly what he does, is try and continue to whisper in our ear that we are no better than the sin that we are wanting to commit. So we might as well just do it. And our shame and our self-pity, that is what Satan feeds on. We need to understand that. And without them, he and all his schemes, they will starve out and they will, they will leave us. They will expire. They will be gone from us. But we have to do that. Final thing about temptation before we begin to talk about how to fight it better. Um, and, and maybe uh, thinking about these things, this one maybe is the one that gets us the most. Temptation wears us out. It wears us out. Look. You may, you may resist getting angry at your spouse at first. 
Maybe you resisted whatever that great temptation is that you have at first. Maybe you worked hard all week and you know you didn't give in to laziness at first. I mean, maybe you even ate better at first, had self-control. But you see, temptation is not, and this will make more sense in a moment, we, we tie this all together. Temptation is not a single arrow to be avoided. But it's like one of those movie scenes when two armies go to battle. You know, they, they stand there before each other on the battlefield. What is the first thing they do? Release the arrows. And you know, the, the movies dramatize that a lot, don't they? They shoot those arrows and it looks like you can't see the sun anymore because there's so many arrows. That's what temptation is. And that's how temptation works. So yeah, you've done well. You've not, you've not blowed up at your spouse, but, but they keep just doing something to just poke at you or get on your nerves a little bit and finally you blow up. Yeah, maybe, maybe you don't look at that thing that you shouldn't look at, but, but a couple of hours later you're tired of fighting and you're vulnerable and, and you give in. Maybe, you, yeah, you did work and you worked hard all week and you weren't lazy and you did the right things, but, but maybe eventually you're just tired and you crumble and you give in. And maybe, you know, maybe temptation just wore you down. So how do we fight all this? How do we fight a, a, something that, that is a constant battle? How do we fight something that, that uses every scheme that it can against us? How do we fight something that, 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 that seems to be something that we would love and something that we would have great pleasure? How would we fight something that its only ambition is to absolutely destroy us? How do we fight that? Paul told us how to fight that. We go to Ephesians chapter 6. Chapters uh, 10 through 20. The end of the book. And Paul says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. He says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the... Or, excuse me. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand uh, in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. We'll stop there for a moment, talk about that, and then we'll come back and talk about the rest of it. So here's, here's what Paul does. So the book of Ephesians is a book of encouragement to the Christians. That's what it is. There wasn't a ton of things going on in Ephesus that Paul needed to address in his letter. Not like Galatia, not like Corinth, not like uh, you know, uh, Colossus or, or places like that. There wasn't necessarily 
A lot of false teaching going on in the church. And that's why you have the letter the way that you have it. Paul opens it talking about the blessings they have in Christ, the great salvation. He talks about the salvation coming from Christ alone apart from works. And then he just begins to talk about how the believers there in the church should be unified in the body. Just to be sure to give them that reminder. When he gets in chapter number 5, he talks about you know, the relationship between husbands and wives. Six is parents and children. He talks about how we are, uh, how we should deal with uh, like a boss at a job. You know how we're to work under someone and, and and be respectful in that. He gives us the warning at the beginning of chapter five to be imitators of God as He is, not to follow after sexual immorality. Now that's very important because if there was something. That would be a stronger temptation than anything else in Ephesus. It would have been sexual immorality. And that is because of what was going on there at Ephesus. I know we talked about this. But the, the, the temple of Princess Diana was there. Or Diana was there. Uh, which was a, um, a pagan god. And there around the temple. There were prostitutes. The prostitutes of the temple. And there what would happen was. The act of worship to that pagan god involved the prostitutes. Just to put it the way it was. So, these people lived in that kind of culture. Where um, sexualization was very prevalent before their eyes. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And so Paul warns against that at the beginning of chapter 5. And it's, 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 not, it's not odd that... After he makes that warning, Paul goes immediately to marriage. What did happen? What did Solomon do in the Proverbs? He gives a warning of the adulterous woman, and he tells young men to find a wife. So, we get to chapter 6 then, and we open this section, verse 10. He tells us, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. The first thing Paul tells us before he begins to talk about the armor of God is to be strong. Well, okay, here we go. Yeah, right? Okay, we're going to be strong in the Lord and in His might. The first thing Paul tells us is you can't do it. You're going to fail if you try to do this on your own. Be strong in the Lord. If you try to fight temptation on your own strength, you're going to fail every time. He says then, put on the whole armor of God, not half all, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. devil. So Paul acknowledges here in verse 11, that we are in a fight. He's not saying, you know, be careful there's a fight coming. No, you're in it. So, and then he tells us what kind of fight we're in. In verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. If we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, then the strength we have in our flesh and blood is completely useless. You do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I hope, I hope I'm not getting too spiritual here. But this is the battle Paul says that we're in. It is a spiritual battle. It's a battle that you and I cannot see with our eyes. It's not even a battle that we can feel with our hands. But it, there is an actual spiritual battle going on for mine and your soul in this very second. And Paul tells us, the schemes of the devil are working against you. What does he want to do? We go back. What is the ambition of temptation? To ruin your soul and rob you of God. That's his desire. So then, in verse 14, he says, um, Stand therefore. Everything, notice, every, everything here is standing. It's a posture of strength. It's not cowering back. But it's being aggressive. It's important. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The first thing he tells us to do is stand firm. A spiritual victory is, is not, a spiritual victory is not being freed from present suffering. Understand that. But spiritual victory is standing firm in spiritual or in real world suffering. It is maintaining our faith in the gospel when the world around us is crashing and burning. That's what standing firm is. It's not. It's, it's not overcoming the suffering. But it's standing right in our place where we are and not moving when it happens. We can stand firm in our faith if, only if, we put on the armor that we have been given. First thing, belt of truth. Belt of truth means... That and I know this is this this is hard to understand this is so so we're just going to talk about what these things mean and then we'll close. So the belt of truth means that we keep trusting in the truth of the gospel. What is the truth of the gospel? That Jesus lived in righteousness and Jesus is faithful for our salvation. So as the schemes of the devil are coming at us, he's accusing us. He's luring, he's enticing us. He's, he's wearing us out over and over with fiery dart after fiery dart after fiery dart. He, he wants to try to show us the thing that will give us pleasure. What do we do then? We remember and trust that Jesus died and he was righteous and Jesus was faithful for our salvation. Number three. Or the next thing, excuse me. Um, he says, same verse, verse 14, fasten on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. It is as if we are wearing a breastplate, a piece of armor, armor. That breastplate of righteousness is when we keep trusting the gospel that Jesus' righteousness is what qualifies us for, he for heaven. It's not that we're trusting in what we have done. It's not that we are trusting in our works, but it is that we're trusting in what Jesus Christ has done. And that is the reason that we can stand before God. And this begins to this will protect us as a chest plate would. 
It will protect us from Satan's condemnation under the law. Where Satan will look at us and accuse us and say, look where you broke the law today. Well, we can confidently say, as Romans 8 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because of His righteousness. That's what it means to wear a breastplate of righteousness. In verse 15, it says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We are fitted, have feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We are wearing, uh, we are wearing His, Jesus' sandals of peace. It is almost as if a soldier prepared for battle. We are so trusting in the peace that Jesus has secured for us on the cross that we are ready to go. It's a, you know, um, Romans chapter 10. Let me flip over there. Romans chapter 10 um, gives the Old Testament prophecy in verse 15. So, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, notice what it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Because the feet are wearing the sandals of peace that Jesus provides. It's a picture of trusting in that peace and that we are ready to go and proclaim that peace to another. Verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We're taking up the shield of faith. This is, um, as Paul is talking about this, he's describing the armor of a Roman soldier. I'm sure we know that. Uh, the Roman shield was a full-length body shield. It was the length of the whole body. And much like in war, the reason that it was is because they would use arrows. They would use flaming arrows. And they would sit that before their body, hold it on their forearm, sit down and get behind it so that it, all the arrows would hit it. And the arrows would not penetrate and hit the soldier. It's a picture of us trusting the gospel of Jesus to shield us from Satan's lies. Verse 17 talks about the helmet of salvation. And take the helmet of salvation. And the, and it, is, it is a picture like the Roman soldiers. They were protected by bronze helmets. We are taking the helmet of salvation when we are trusting in Jesus as our Savior. And a picture of trusting in Jesus as our judge. And then verse 17 finishes talking about taking the sword of the Spirit. We're using the sword of the Spirit when we trust that the Word of God guarantees our salvation for us. So we put all this together. To put on the full armor of God then is to resist the lies of Satan, which the gospel, the gospel about the person, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the, uh, the reign of Jesus Christ rules in our lives. That's what it means to put on the armor of God. To say what Christ has done on the cross, in His death, in His resurrection, 
His, in His ascension to the Father, where He intercedes for us now, that is the role of our life. Our salvation is about the gospel. Our sanctification is about the gospel. Our perseverance till the end is about the gospel. And our glorification is about the gospel. That's what it means to put on the armor of God. It's a very simple concept. Believe in the gospel. Every day. Believe in it every single day. That God sent his son to a cross to die for sinners. That Jesus Christ made a way of salvation through his perfect righteousness. He fulfilled the wrath of God on a cross once and for all. And that he rose from the dead because death could not hold him. And then 40 days later, he would ascend to the right hand of the throne of God, where he is now pleading our case before the Father. So when the accuser comes to tempt us, we do not have to stand and fight on our own strength. But we fight in the very power of the gospel that saved us when we first believed. We believe in what Jesus has done for us. And that is how we fight temptation. That we believe Jesus has done enough. And Jesus has saved us enough. That we will have eternal life. No matter what Satan tempts us with. Uh, Going back uh, to that psalm. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Thinking about the proverb, the warning of the adulterous woman. And and while that is actually what he's talking about, we could stick any sin that clings closely to us in that and apply it or imply it to our lives. The key is loving God more than you love sin. Finding Jesus more worthy than you find sin. Temptation and fighting temptation, apart from putting on the armor and, and what that means, But at the heart of fighting temptation is ultimately a worship issue. It's a worship issue. It's whether we find ourselves having more worth than Jesus. Because if we believe that we have more worth than Jesus then we will try to satisfy ourselves with the things of the world because we deserve it more than Jesus deserves our worship. Thank you for listening today to our sermon cast. We hope and pray that you were encouraged as you were challenged by God's word to learn biblical ways to resist temptation. 
and also how to handle and put on the armor of God. Join us each and every Saturday for our regular podcast, The Halfway There Cast. Follow us on social media and also check out our website and find resources there to help you on your journey home.